Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I'm your host, as he stated very clearly, Rashawn McDonald. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It is important to understand that everybody travels a different path to success. That is because your brand is different. The challenges you will face in your life are different. So stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. Lead with your gifts. Now, you can be motivated by their success because their stories can offer you direction or help you reach your goals through your planning and your committed effort. But in the end, the interviews I offer on Money Making Conversations provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. Well, I got that out the way. It's time to introduce my guests. I got two of them on the phone from a very, very uh, popular series. Let me get. Let me. Let me introduce them. My next guests are starring in the new TV series from Emmy Award winner and Academy Award nominee producer Ava DuVernay. Her company develops and produces stories that center around people of color and women of all kinds. Some of her feature film and television projects are When They See Us, Thirteenth. Queen Sugar, and now the new anthology drama, Cherish the Day. Cherish the Day airs every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern and West Coast and Central, 9 p.m. Central on the OWN Network, which is the Oprah Winfrey Network. The show chronicles a couple who met and fall in love in Los Angeles, with the full season spanning five years and eight episodes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Zosha Rockamore and Alano Miller. Hey, hey. Hello. Come on now. Come on now. How y'all doing? Now. Good, good. First of How all, are you? First, first time on the show. Um, you know, it, you know I, I, I saw the show from the beginning. And um, when it came out, you know, I'm a big fan of Ava. And I, so just, to, uh, just to give people a little background, uh, Zosha, you were on the Mindy Project, correct? Yes, I was. Six seasons. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that, uh, that experience before we break down everything. And I'm going to ask you the same question, Alano. About underground. Oh, the the Mindy Project was so fun and amazing. I love everybody over there. Um, Mindy Kaling is an amazing woman and artistic mogul and a brilliant <laughs> writer. So yes. to get to work with her was super cool. Mm-hmm. And we just had a good time. It was a half hour comedy. A lot of improvising. We would be on set rolling, just like <laughs> dying in stitches, having a great time pretty much every day. So that was super fun. Okay, you came, that's a sitcom, basically. And then all of a sudden, we got my man, Alano Miller, The Underground. <laughs> yeah, way different, um, way different there. You was out there in the, in the sun, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was out there in that sun. Um, it was, you know, it was a tough show. It's a challenging show. 
Um, but I, I was really honored to have a chance to ch- continue to change the narrative of slavery um, and, uh, you know, really promote the fact that there are these superheroes that, that lived and breathed here on this planet and that they're real people and that they really paved the way for us to uh, be where we are today. So um, to be a part of that journey was amazing. Of course, you know, Misha Green, she is like one of my favorite human beings, the creator of Underground. And, uh, you know, I walked away with a lot of friends uh, from that set. So sad that it's gone, but I'm glad to be a part of the the the, the move the movement. Absolutely, it's really important when I hear both of you guys talking. I hear the word relationships, you know, being a, a key mm-hmm. conversation, and also the environment that you that you worked on in those previous relationships. And I always tell people in my in my business, I've been very successful in entertainment and away from entertainment. I and I find that relationships are really the key, and how you maintain them is the key for longevity. Correct. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the keys, big time. Yeah, it's about being able to, um, you know, invest in yourself, but also invest in relationships. I mean, you never know. Um, you don't do it for the the fact of you know what where you, what you're going to get from them, but you you invest in those relationships because you want to be challenged, you want to be sharpened, and uh, you you want to you want to learn more and, and become a better person, better artist, whatever it is. And so you just have to stay open and be a sponge. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're talking. I'm talking to Zosha Rockamore and Alano Miller, stars of the own uh, television series Cherish Today. Now, they gave me a quick description. This is the narrative will unfold to reveal significant moments in a relationship that compel us to hold true to, to the ones we love, from the extraordinary to the everyday. Now, that's what they sent over to me. This is my takeaway from the series when I, when I watched so far. It's mm-hmm. a show about trust. It's a show about follow your passion. Don't live your life through other people's dreams. Mm-hmm. Don't judge based on your perception. It's all right to be different. It's all right to dress different. It's all right to talk different. It's all right to dream different. And more importantly, a real relationship is more than good sex. Yeah. Uh, right. All those things are right. Yeah. And I, and the reason I, the reason I, I, I pull those things out of it because it's, that really is what money making conversation is all about. I always talk about follow your passion. I always say lead with your gifts, and that 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 tone keeps ringing over and over because you guys are a very distinctive personality. So starting with you, Zosha, explain to everybody your character, and then Alana will follow up with yours, so we can just start developing this show concept of the people who may have never heard of the show that we want to drive into the show and realize they're missing something special and they should they should go to the backlogs and, and catch up because it because right. it's one of because it's one of them series where you just can't stop in you just can't drop in this series yeah. <laughs> you can't drop in episode five you know you because you got to go to that one and and uh, and, and just start yeah. build that information up because 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 Zosha got some some character flaws in there and uh my man Alano character he got some character flaws but that's what makes a beautiful couple that's what makes this series so perfect so Zosha tell us about your character gently okay my character gently James she's a free spirit she's from South Los Angeles um, <laughs> she grew up why is that funny? Because I've yeah. lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. I know exactly what South Los Angeles is, West, West, West Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's from South L.A., from mm-hmm. the West Adams area specifically. Yes. Mm-hmm. She, um, she wasn't, her background was a little, it wasn't traditional. Yes. Uh, she didn't really have her parents. Right. Um, but she has this network of people who Uncles. were 
like her parents for mm-hmm. her, and those are like her loved ones. So mm-hmm. she kind of has like a maid family. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a world traveler, right. and she's just a woman, kind of like taking life as it comes yes. and doing things on her own time in her own way with her own flavor. And then she meets this guy who kind of uh, challenges everything that she thought she was about. And I feel that. Well, hold on, hold on, Lana. Let me let me stay on for a minute because I, I don't want okay. to get into now. Zosia, in watching your character, you know, I I I, I sensed a, 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 a large amount of fear. That's why I talked about trust. And, yeah, uh, and I don't fear. want to give away too much of the character layout of why you have those trust issues and why you why you are traveling and why you uh, like like I said, you know, you're a frog without a, a pad to stay on. You know, you just keep hopping yeah. from pad to pad. Well, I think. I think Bentley's background um, had some trauma in it. And I think the trauma led her to not trust people as well. Um, or, yeah, she's like she got traumatized pretty early in her youth. And she's kind of carried that with her. And it manifested in a lot of one way that it manifests her not being able to trust easily. Right. And then that's way <laughs> it manifests her wanting to get as far away from where she came from as possible and kind of just see the whole world and right. become a more worldly person who's not just, you know, in South L.A. for her whole entire life. Because I think she saw very early on that, like, if she stayed there and got into that world, maybe, you know, she wouldn't end up where she really wants to be. Right, because your personality drives that character, that, that, that worldliness, you know, that ability to, you know, like I said, you know, go from Germany to go from some different places that, that allowed you to like either be a waitress here or just anything mm-hmm. like you know, work, at a, work, work at a park or be a, a, a lifeguard or whatever at this location just to earn money to, to, for the experience. Like you said in the, in the, in the show, one, one place you was only there for one day, then you hopped out. Because the earthquake, then you can jump out right. real quick, and so and it was just I just I just really loved the uh, the writing and um and the style of it that, that with your character because it's important that you bought into the character. So talk about how that whole process as an actress getting a script and you making that character yours. Um. Well, when I first got the script and the looking at the character, she was just very relatable to me. So I had a really, a pretty easy end to gently. I didn't have to like, I did a lot of work, but I didn't have to like, work <laughs> hard to understand her. Cause uh-huh. I kind of innately did. I didn't have a traumatic background like she did in right. that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my own trauma in other ways that everyone does. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, I, I'm from South LA, mm-hmm. my own self. I'm from, I grew up in the Crenshaw area. my, mom and them are from Compton. So Absolutely. I knew what it meant to be from Compton, but not like, not of Compton, whatever people think that means. I feel like whenever we see these areas like represented in media, it's always about gang banging or like about folks not having enough money for food and things like that. But I was like, I'm from Compton and we always have food and I went right. to private schools. I right. go to, went to NYU. So I feel like I got to bring a lot of that gently. The fact that she was from, you know, West Adams, but she's like, been to Greece multiple times, right. <laughs> like done all these things. I felt like that was just really realistic. She was a whole person um, and a black girl, and we don't see that often, a whole black woman. And I thought that was important, too, in that character. Like I said, being that I lived in L.A. for 15 years, every neighborhood that you're talking about, and I did radio in L.A., so I knew how people perception of doing a, a mm-hmm. their life or, you know, being in Compton drive-bys, you know, being in South, right. South L.A. or whatever, you know, Crenshaw area, you know, you, you don't go over there at night. Don't go over there. And even black people would even question 
the community. Right. And, and so you have to deal with that. And then I'm, I'm going to shift over to the reason I wanted to set your character up a little bit more because a lot of those those values you talk about, those perceptions were built into Alano's character. Right. And, and that's what I loved about it because he really played that character true to form. And that's what I loved about it. Talk to us about your character, which is Evan uh, Fisher. Well, <clears throat> yeah, so Evan Fisher is, um, I mean, completely the opposite. <laughs> um, you know, he has a tech background. He is, uh, uh, you know, mom, dad, very successful sister, very successful uh, upper class background, went to Stanford. You know, it feels like a guy who's done everything right, at least yes. what he thinks is right. You yes. know, so he has a, he lives within a box. He's confined and he's uh, been conditioned to look at the world from a, a specific point of view and um, doesn't live, you know, isn't from South um, LA, but he is from Torrance. California, which is, you know, uh, a, a place that is, that has culture, but is not, you know, known for its people of color, let's yes, just say it like that. Yes, and, yes, um, yes, yes. you know, he is, again, a person who, when he bumps into Gently, is knocked off his, off his feet because he sees how she is independent and she owns her, you know, her space. Her space, at the library. And he wants, <laughs> yes, at the library, yes, at the library. And, but he wants to do the same thing. He, you know, he's, he feels like he needs uh, to be broken out of his mindset. And so he looks at this woman with all these notions of who she probably is, and then she breaks that stereotype. And she's, you know, well-traveled and, and cultured, and she's educated, and she's, she just has all these other things. And so for him, it's like, wow, she's yes and. You don't have to look a certain way or present yourself to the world a certain way. You can be all of those things. You can have the, the culture and the, the class and, the, and also still be from West Adams and, you know, and, and breaking uh, those, those notions that we have that we look at each other like. So I think that for him, it, he is um, excited to meet someone like her who is, challenging the way that he sees the world and sees people right you know it, it's really it, let's let's go back to the beginning I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to a break for a minute there in a minute here but i want to explain to everybody the show opens up with a uh, pretty sensual scene between uh this and it's played out separately by the two lead characters and it, it involves sex but it, but that i think that was important to set that up because it lets you know where their life was at that point it wasn't emotionally driven. It was just physically driven, these previous relationships. Yeah. And so, and I thought that was really interesting that that got set up because it happened at the same time. And I, and I love the way, you know, we always say we never know who we're going to meet and when we're supposed to meet and when we meet. Because the thing about it, when you first saw her at the library, it was physicality that attracted you to it because the guy pointed it out to you. And it wasn't when you, until you got to talk to her when, she, when you were trying to get her to move away that you realize, okay, she's more than just a physical presence. She's a, she's funny. She's quick witted. She didn't want to accept your money. You know, she stood her ground. And I think that was important in the early going to set those boundaries that I can't be bought. My ideas can't be bought. My, my beliefs can't be bought. Nor, and you have to understand, and you respected her and backed down. So when I asked you the question, Zosha, how important, how important was that moment? I mean, it was, I, I guess, what they call in the script, the inciting incident. Mm -hmm. So it was very important. It was the thing that brought these two together, or that, you know, that's when they first crossed paths. That was the cosmic connection. That was the moment. So it was super important. Mm -hmm. 
Two. Great. Uh, we'll be right back with more. Uh, uh, my favorite couple on TV. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I see a lot of quality program come on television. And uh, this show, If I'll be stunned if it's not an uh, Emmy-nominated show. And if, if it gets nominated, it should win. Uh, we're talking to the two of the lead cast members for the uh, Ava DuVernay new show, Cherish Today is on OWN, which is the Oprah Winfrey Network. You can catch it every Tuesday, 9 p.m. West Coast, East Coast, 9 p.m. Central. Uh, we're talking to Jose, Zosha Rockamore and my man, Alano Miller. Be right back with more Money Making Conversations. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. And follow Money Making Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time you stop thinking about your dreams and put some plans into action. Hi, you're listening to Rashawn McDonald, and this is Money Making Conversations. The thing I love about Money Making Conversations, I bring individuals who are living their craft, who are who challenging themselves to do what they want to do with their dreams and not being guided in a different direction. The reason I love this series, Cherish Today, it plays out a lot of those values. The lead character, uh, played uh, Evan, played by my man Alano Miller, his character is divided by he went to school. He did all the right things, kind of the kind of type of life I lived. You know, I went to college, got my math degree, I went to work for IBM, and everybody told me that's what I was supposed to do. And I didn't want to do that in the end. And when I started to deviate from that, then people started questioning my beliefs, my integrity, uh, started saying I was making dumb decisions. And that played out in a very important scene for you with your, with your sister in the kitchen. Correct, Evan? I'm going to call yeah, you Evan because that's your character. She, I wanted to follow a different dream, a different path. And um, she saw that as a, a problem because she felt like I should just stay where I'm at and, and kind of continue on that journey. Well, she uh, said the money. She said about, about money, though. She brought that money. Yeah, up. <laughs> she sees that money. I mean, he's about to, you know, he just got the promotion to vice president. Up vice president, yes. And then, you know, but at the same time, he doesn't, that's not really his dream. His dream is to to have start his own company and, and venture out and uh, start this app, Zabiri, that he uh, has been talking about for years. Right. And uh, gently inspires him and encourages him to, to actually take that leap. And that's really important. Let's go to your character, Gently. Gently character. Mm-hmm. You start out this show with an incredible actress, Cicely Tyson. Miss Tyson. Come on now. I, I apologize. Miss Tyson. Miss Tyson. <laughs> Got to do it right. Got to do it right. And, yes, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When you, you know, um, watching that she's funny. She even shares a little dance with my man, Evan. <laughs> character. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. she's uh, defiant. She's opinionated. You know, they didn't just throw her some lines. She's acting in this. Yes. She's acting and she's dressing up. And, uh, you know, recently she was in the new Tyler Perry movie, A Fall from Grace, which she doesn't yes, look at all like that. that character. Like, all oh, because she plays a you know, beat up, homeless type looking lady in the, A Fall from Grace. Talk to her about that relationship. And what did you learn in working with a young lady, you know, Miss Tyson like that, Miss Rockamore? Well, the... The relationship between Gently and Miss um, Luma, who, which is Miss Tyson's character name, is just amazing and beautiful. Miss um, Luma is an actress uh, and singer of the stage and film, but she never really got the big break that um, you know she deserved yes. because of timing, essentially because of the time it was, and black women weren't getting breaks like that, and especially chocolate black women. So. She went on to be a teacher, 
Mm-hmm. In LA Unified School District, and then when her and Gently are together, Gently is her caregiver and like lives there with her, and she's almost like a mother figure for Gently because Gently doesn't have a mother. Right. So it's a dope symbiotic relationship. Um, and working with Miss Tyson was absolutely amazing. She's so good. She's so beautiful. She's so present. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a brilliant actress and such a legend and a queen. And so it was just really a master class each day and just getting to be around her and just ask her casual questions and like see what she likes to eat and see what her process is in terms of approaching a scene. Like it was just cool to just be there and observe. She's super sweet. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a cool bucket list type moment. <laughs> well, you know, it really was interesting watching you every time you was in a scene where it was, it almost felt like it was a genuine relationship. That's what, I'm going to just tell you both, you know, I'm going to just tell you both. What what sold me so much on this series was the chemistry, was the, uh, I felt there was a genuine relationship struggle between the two of you. I felt that you, both of you truly came from different worlds and I understood the differences and when I when I say that, uh, Alano, your character play you, you played the character Evan on the on the series Cherish Today. When you first came by and met and met Michael Beach, you really played that character correctly. About you had your little Tesla parked out front, you was worried about it. Talk about walk through walk through that little moment. Because <laughs> I felt I'm saying something, brother. I I've done that. I've done that when I went into Crenshaw. So I know. Right. You know. Right. I mean, you know, stereotypes are, are, are very powerful when they're created by media. Um, and so, you know, that's what he has an idea of walking into this situation where these brothers look like, you know, <laughs> look like they about to, you know, whoop your behind. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I, just, I mean, I think, you know, he's a very... Uh, he wants to present himself a certain way and he he isn't those things and he gets, you know, confronted with a, a fear of his. So um, I thought in that space, you know, this is outside of his, his circle and he wasn't expecting that. I think he was expecting to, to, you know, not bump into her, you know, her uncle and, and, all, and all his, his friends and no, 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 and no, all of them were uncles now. Let's go. They all remember in the end, they were all uncles. Oh, now. yeah, all of them were yeah, uncles. They all just, uncles. They, they all uncles. Let's go be, let's say the terminology right. You thought they were thugs, you know, your character thought I mean, they were thugs. Yeah, I think my character definitely thinks of him that way. Like, he, he doesn't think that he's in a safe environment. I'll just say that, <laughs> yeah, because you kept looking back at your car and, and then Michael Beach character, I, mean, I got this, I got this, don't worry yeah, about this. I got this. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, he, he's he's believes in the stereotypes, you know, he does it. He, he didn't leave any room <laughs> for them to show their character at all. And, then, you know, the interesting thing about it, and that's the great, the beauty of how Ava DuVernay put together this series. She she peels back little pieces right there because because uh, Gently's character, played by Ms. Rockamore, she noticed that. And, 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 and it plays out in the scene later on when they get to Carson, you know, because the thing about it is that because of his character has always been successful. I'm talking about Evan's character. It's always been yeah. successful. You know, he feels that he can intellectually understand, you can do it this way. And then you have Gently's character saying, why should I do it that way? I have no opinion. I have a, why, why do I have to go and buy a new refrigerator? Why, I have to, why can't I use this? Well, what's wrong with this? So you, you see people having different values being played out before you. And at times, 
I thought you guys were improv. Was there any improv going along with? Or you guys just stuck straight to the script? To the script. There was there was a little improv here and there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our vibe was very much uh, because Zosha and I have known each other. There's a trust there, so we we wanted to come to play, and and um, Ava wanted the collaboration as well. So we we definitely did that. I, it, it showed, and I thought that it had to be there because there were certain lines and there were certain movements, and there were certain extra, uh, you know, some street language thrown in. I go, I know they didn't write that line. I know they didn't. Write that. <laughs> which which I know and is that good was because. Was written. Yeah, but but I know it was good because I was going, this is really, really tight. This is really, really clean, you know. And like I said, and I'm just talking in generic terms because I want people to tune in and see the show. I don't, I don't want to tell everybody the actual show because it was, there are certain moments that I'm talking about that if I reveal, it would take away the path. And you should have that moment that I had when I watched the series. When I went from episode one to episode two to episode three to episode four. And next Tuesday coming up, it could be episode five. Remember, there are only eight episodes in this anthology. And uh, the guy, Michael Beach, if you're not familiar with him, he recently starred in the Aquaman series and made over $1.2 billion worldwide. And let's go to my favorite girl. I have many times as a writer and producer, I got an opportunity to work with her. And she showed her colors as your mom, Evan Anne-Marie Johnson. And it was an honor to work with her. She's an amazing human being and <laughs> super talented. And of course, growing up watching her and like and, and living color, and I mean, she's just she's a beast. A beast, brother. I, I would tell you something, man. This, the, the, I hope I'm not gushing too much, team. I, I, you know, you know. When I say that, I mean that when you see something special, and I've seen, I've been fortunate to see a lot of great work in movies and television and stage. And when you see a show like this that's played out and the chemistry between the two of you and then the actors that are added to the cast. Like I, I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, Miss Tyson, which is Miss Cicely Tyson. I mentioned Michael Beach. Now I'm at Anne-Marie Johnson. And then you had my boy who I was I, I worked with on the Parkers, Dorian Wilson, who played your dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Professor Ogilvy, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the Parkers. That's the Parkers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, no, he, he's just... I mean, look, everybody that uh, Ava brought in to play and to... They were just dedicated. They all had stakes, and they all understood, understood what we were trying to do, the story that we were trying to tell. And they um, they all stepped up to the plate, and it was just an honor to work with all of them. Zosha and I had a blast. Mm-hmm. From Queen Mother, you know, Cicely Tyson, uh, to, you know, to Dorian and to, you know, to Michael Beach, of course, who I call Pops now. Right. We all had, you know, we built relationships on the set mm-hmm. and we came to, you know, to, to really highlight, you know, love and all the things that you said that were to um, bring this story to life. And, you know, so we understand that you're gushing. We love that you're gushing. You know, we thank Ava for this opportunity as well as own um, for having us and, and really just breaking it down that love is still possible and that it's out there in the world and that um, we got to just keep our, our eyes open to the possibilities and to stay the course and to follow your journey, follow your dreams, follow your desires and, you know, uh, and but also do the work. You know, it's not enough to just say it. So, and that's, that's what um, I was saying is that, you know, I hear so many people in this show. When I watch this show, this is where I really, really like the show. I'm talking to Zosha Rockamore and I'm talking to Alana Miller and um, they're the stars of Cherish Today. Uh, please watch it every Tuesday on OWN. That's 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern and West Coast and 9 p.m. Central. Guys, enjoy yourself. I appreciate you coming on my show. Thank you, Thank you. so much. Thank you so much. Hi, and this, uh, if you want to hear more episodes of Money Making Conversation, you can always go to moneymakingconversation.com. I am Rashawn McDonald.
I'm your host. But let me tell you a couple of more things about the show before we leave, about Cherish today. And this is what I was going to. And I, I really appreciate um, the two cast members coming on the show. Uh, Lauren Lott plays her girlfriend, her ride-or-die girlfriend on the show. When I say that, I'm like, Zosha Rockamore's character is Gently James, and Lauren, Lauren Lott plays her friend in the show. She's from American Idol. So they took, they, they took talent. And, uh, and if you know Lauren Lott, she's a singer. And she was on, uh, like I stated earlier, American Idol, plays a great character. All the characters went together. They all communicated. They all carried their role accordingly. But again, at the er early part of my uh, interview, I talked about what was my takeaway from the show. It's a show about trust. And we know how important trust is. We always talk about trust. We always talk about either trust your friend, trust your, your loved one, trust the situation you're in, trust your belief, trust your gifts. This series talks about that. It's a show about follow your passion. I always talk about that on this show. I always talk about lead with your gifts. I always talk about it's, uh, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. That's what these characters are about. They're just playing out in different roles, but they're coming together as a couple. And as a couple, you will have problems. You, will, you have to accept responsibility of what it takes to make a couple coexist. Don't live your life through other people's dreams. I live that. I, I did that in my personal life. A lot of people are doing that every day right now, and they need to stop it. That's what one of the major takeaways I took from chairs today. People are always question your decision. Ride or die with your decision. You hear that term, ride or die a lot? Ride or die on you for a change. And stop riding or die with somebody helping you ride or die. Believe in your dreams. Don't judge. Don't be judged based on your perceptions or people's perception of you. That's what this show plays out. Like she said, uh, you know, there are no light complexion characters that are leads in here. It's a dark complexion young lady or a chocolate complexion young lady. Not the typical lead character that you would expect in a series as, as important as this. And it, it, it plays well. Um, Zosha played that character to a T. I thought she was a roundaway girl. For real. And Alano played his character to a T. I thought he was a nerd guy who had never been around black people in the hood. I thought that for real. And it's all right to be different. It's all right to dress different. It's all right to talk different. It's all right to dream different. That's all I talk about on Money Making Conversation. It's follow your dream and stop letting people change it. Stop letting people question it, believe in it, ride it out. And again, Money Making Conversation, this show, Chairs to Dream, to watch a show that had so many values that I preach and, 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 and recommend and advise people to follow and it's played out on a hourly series once a week watch it for the show but also watch it for the values that you can take away from the show i highly recommend all you guys ladies women uh children adults kids anybody who's interested in watching tv watch the series chairs today by the brilliant i'm gonna say brilliant ava duvernay she's an emmy award winner an academy award nominee you've seen her work now you can watch her work on OWN every Tuesday. Cherish the day. 10 p.m. East Coast, West Coast. 9 p.m. Central. My next guest, I'm so happy to, man, is when you talk about, when you bring people into your life or bring people on the show, you say, hey, man, this individual played an important <laughs> role in why I'm able to talk on this talk on this show and have a concept called Money Making Conversation. My next guest is a well-known executive who has been responsible for 
44 radio stations, five of which he owned, encompassing 18 U.S. markets. In addition to leading financial transactions valued at over a half billion dollars in radio station and related areas, his work has included business successes with radio news networks like Mutual Black Network, Radio Sheridan Broadcasting Network, American Urban Network, uh, executive radio programs like uh, Tom Joyner Morning Show, the Wimothy Williams Experience, the Steve Harvey Morning Show, formats like The Light and a satellite channel of a BET Uptown. He's an author, historian, speaker, and retired broadcaster. His latest book is Welling Captains of Color, America's First Meritocracy, which will be released on June 15th and is available for pre-order now. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation, the king. I call him the king because he's the only reason I ever went up to Martha Vineyard's, Skip Finley. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I I can't wait for you to come back. I know you won't. Uh, I'm gonna come back, Skip. I'm telling you, Skip. Let, let's talk, you know, it was 2005, everybody. 2005. You know, Steve Harvey and I, we was uh we was attempting to uh, put together a deal, led by Skip, uh, to become a morning drive and possibly syndicate with Clear Channel at the time. It was gonna be a joint partnership and all this. And so Steve and I, we went up to Martha's Vineyard, and it had to be the coldest day of the year <laughs> in the summer. It was in the summer, remember? It was in the summer, yeah. and Martha it, it Vineyard. It rained for half the time y'all were. Oh here. my God! It was, it was, it was, a, it was. A, but it didn't stop us from getting in business, and and that's that's important. What did, way back then in 2005, when you know Steve and I sat down with you guys, and you guys were looking at uh, you know the possibilities of. You know, there's stations in uh, South Carolina, there's stations in California, of course, uh, WBLS, the flagship in New York. What did you see in uh, me as a, a manager back then and Steve Harvey as a talent back then, Skip Finley? Well, you know, I, I first want to get to the punchline. To my knowledge, to this day, that is the only major media deal that was entirely conducted by black people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We made all the decisions in that, you know, that short part of that week when we were up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, I was vice chairman of the company, the president of the company, you know, Pepe Sutton, mm-hmm. and I, and Charles Warfield, the president of the company, you know, mm-hmm. were all there. Mm-hmm. Um, our chairman had the idea that there wasn't anything funny in black radio, right. and that might be a key to success in Morning Drive. We certainly agree. You know, and got a call of an interest from Rushan. You know how we like to talk to Steve Harvey. Well, we went crazy. We fell out. Right. Of course, realistically, we knew we couldn't afford him, so it was up to me to figure out a way we could pay him. Yes. <laughs> we couldn't do it right then. I was headed out on vacation. They agreed to come up to Martha's Vineyard. And the first funny story is my wife and I went to pick them up, the whole group up at the airport. Ricky Anderson, the attorney, was with you. Right. 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 Parents right. was with you. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get to the airport, and these good-looking, overly well-dressed brothers <laughs> come out of the terminal with these tailored three-piece suits on and Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. I'm totally embarrassed because I'm there in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. <laughs> My wife is cute anyway, so it didn't matter what she had on. Right, right, so right. So she, right. she's driving the little, t- the little convertible Mercedes, yes. and I'm driving, you know, my big you know, F-150 pickup truck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, then the bags come out, and they have these odd-shaped bags. I'm like, you know, what, what are these? <laughs> well, those are our hat bags. I'm like, yes, yes. y'all not going to need any hats on Martha's Vineyard. If you do, they're going to blow away. Well, oh, my God. The weekend I forgot, after you I went, I forgot about those hats. from there. 
Um, you know, eight men sat down in a room and decided, you know, we generally liked and respected each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. And over the years, we've heard because, you know, since, you know, success of the program, um, you know, most comedians decide <clears throat> they want to go and do that, too. What we knew, Steve Harvey had already been a professional morning drive announcer right. in the two next largest markets in the country, Chicago and Los Angeles, for right. eight years. Mm-hmm. Had mm-hmm. all the experience doing mm-hmm. the announcing mm-hmm. and just happened to be one of the funniest men on the planet. Right, right. And I think a lot of folks don't know, Rushan, you too have a history in stand-up. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> and we like to laugh, so being around a couple of brothers like you guys who <laughs> like to tell jokes was just amazing. Well, you know, you it, know, and help and help cement the deal. Well, you know, it was, just, it was great. I always remember that 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 number we put out in the Pepe Sudden. He he fell out of his chair. I can't play that. I can't play that. I can't play that. <laughs> and I said, wait, wait, wait. Here's what we can do. And I said, I said, Steve. We can come up with half the dough. <laughs> <laughs> and with another part, we can do this bonus thing. Well, I've got this idea right. on how to get stations to pay rights fees to do this right, right. instead of just giving us advertising time to go out and sell. Wow. I which remember, was the man. first time the model had ever been used. Absolutely. 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 And I said, I happen to know two guys at two radio networks mm-hmm. who would love to go- partner with us and, and distribute you know, this deal once we put it all together. And it all started up there. The and, and, and by the way, mm-hmm. you know, broadcasting the show from New York, where you're in the publishing center of the world, you're mm-hmm. in the television center of the world, you're in the fashion center of the world. Mm-hmm. Imagine, Steve, what you can do just being there. You've uh-huh. got books, you've got movies, you've got fashion, you need to open a comedy club. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you guys are into health food. Absolutely. Except for you're trying to convince me we had lunch at Michael's that day. <laughs> the dessert was health food. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You the know, people so- in the restaurant still talk about that. The man came over and said, well, Here's the desserts we like to have today. Rushan says, man, bring all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have not now, changed. Now I have not changed. I'm Instagram with all these fabulous desserts. I'm like, how does he stay so slim <laughs> and tight eating like that? Well, you know, Skip, it, it, I wanted people to understand that, you know, when you see me, especially when you see Steve, he's an international star now. You know, that, that meeting, like you said, African-American men sitting in a room negotiating. You know, yeah. and, and yeah. figuring it out and, 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 and then putting us on a station, a, a flagship station. Now, WBLS yeah. 107.5. See, I still know the numbers because that That's station it. right there, man, we, we was there for two years because that was part of the deal. We had to stay up there for two years yeah. and, and establish ourselves in the New York market before we moved down to Atlanta, Georgia. And in doing so, it really it really played out to our advantage because of the fact that Wendy Williams was in the afternoon. So here's a station. They had Steve Harvey in the morning, Wendy Williams in the afternoon. Can you yeah. imagine what was walking through those doors? It was just, it was just an amazing amount of uh, star power, amazing amount of uh, energy, and amazing amount of competition. Cause and, and access, and, and the, money was, the money was beyond ridiculous. It was beyond all of our wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't want people to think that that was easy because it was hard to get to that point. Absolutely. absolutely. It was hard for the two of you to get to the pinnacle of career already before we got to sit down and talk. We feel the same. Yes. Charlie Pepe and I, at that one time in history, we had between the three of us more management experience than any other radio group in the entire country. Absolutely. At the absolutely. time, I think we were like the number 21st or 22nd largest one. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, my the friend. other part... 
I think, you know, important for folks, you know, not to forget was that everybody showed up early or on time and <laughs> did what they could do. Well, you know, nobody ever looked over their shoulder. Everybody went straight ahead. You know, you guys, were the, you all were the best group of people I have ever worked with in my career. And I'm talking 48 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know something, Skip, when I look at... Uh one thing about it, you know, because Skip, way back then, he loved to fish. You know, he's always telling Steve and me, hey, won't you come fishing <laughs> with us? Won't you, won't, you, won't you come fishing with us? We look at him and go, fishing? I don't think I'm going to go fishing. I said, <laughs> but, he, but he was so I'm just talking to him because I'm about to transition to the book. I'm just talking about a guy who always was over 2005. Yeah. Way back then, he was always talking, I'm going down to the Bahamas. We're going down there fishing. You guys going to come with me? We're going fishing. Yeah. He shows the picture of the boat. And then he shows the history of all his other previous fishing trips just to assure us that this is what he did. That don't, mm-hmm. When you go out there, you're going to catch some fish and you're not going to go out there with a novice. This was Skip. He laid it out. So, so, so fishing and water has always been part of his life. He looks like a fisherman. If you see him, you go, yeah. Yeah, I could believe him. He could play. He could have been that captain in Jaws. He could have been that guy. He could have been. He could have been that guy in Jaws. And so, <laughs> so when I when I see this book, you know, you know, it's about whaling, and we all know the important role that whaling played in in our industry. And you and you and you and you've written a comprehensive account of over fifty sailors of color who rose to captain Captain America's whaling ships. Now, talk to us about the, because I'm gonna tell you something, everybody. I've read this book. The detail and the amount of research that you've done on this book, Skip, is 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 phenomenal as well as fascinating. Well, well, well thank you. I'll tell you a little bit about that. But um, you know, being being blessed, you know, genetically, and and being able to have a summer home growing up on Martha's Vineyard during the summers, right? Vineyard happens to be one of the three whaling centers of the whole wide world, right? Along the way, when I decided I wanted to be a writer after broadcasting. Um, I was asked to write an article for Martha's Vineyard magazine about William A. Martin, who was the, what they thought was the black captain here on Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Well, I started doing research. One thing led to another. One day I said, how in the hell did this guy get to be a captain? This is in like, you know, 1880. Right. <laughs> right. Well, well, because I do, I am ADHD and have a little <laughs> bit of OCD. One thing led to another. Right. Before I knew it, I bought and read over 100 books on whaling, or pretty much all the books on whaling. Right. Mm-hmm. Started taking notes, and the book came out of it. Um, and I was astounded to find these guys, and it's, the actual number is 52 that I can confirm. There's another dozen. I'm not sure if they were black, or I'm not sure if they were captain. I wasn't able to prove it because it's so long ago. Right. But half these men were whaling captains before the Civil War. You know, so this is a one of those hidden figure stories, and as I use that expression, hidden figures, I probably should give a shout out to Mrs. Johnson. Catherine Johnson, I understand, died today at 100 years, 101 years old. She was the lady in in the movie Hidden Figures about NASA. Mm, right, the one that, the and the only one I think Dr. Christine Darden is the only one who's still alive. She, that was a role played by Taraji P. Henson, right? Huh? That was, Taraji P. Henson played her role, correct, in the movie, right? I think so. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. but in but but I, I remember seeing that movie, Count I driving away from it, and I was like, damn, that happened while we were alive. We were yes, adults. Right, right. How do we not know that story? Right. right. And this is the same story. You know, you're talking about, you know, these guys all together brought back over $70 million worth of whale products. Mm-hmm. You know, and whale wasn't about food. It was about oil. This area, the snake of the woods, Ryan, was pretty much the Middle East. Right. 
Nantucket, mm-hmm. New Bedford, Martha's Vineyard. That was the oil. This is the oil that lit our homes, that heated our homes. Street lights. You know, eventually mm-hmm. lit our streets and lubricated the American railroads mm-hmm. and began the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've never heard a mention of it, you know, of these guys before, so I was astounded. And that's essentially what the book is about, you know, and it, wow. was, it was such a difficult activity. About 175,000 people did it over the course of its lifespan, 240-some years. 90% of those people only went once because it was so difficult. Right. Black guys didn't have any place else to go. Wow. Well, hold that so thought right there, Skip. Hold again. that thought, Skip, because I want to come back in the next break and get in more detail because I want to know. It's a, I would just tell everybody about this movie. That this, I apologize. I want to tell everybody about this book, uh, the detail, the research. Um, wow. That's all I have to say. Skip Finley, be right back on Money Making Conversations. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn Shell? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, comedian Dion Cole. A lot of people fail to realize when you look in the mirror every morning, you pass the most unique thing in the world. And I talk about this in my stand-up. You are unique in every way. you got to look at what's unique in you and then capitalize on it. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald. You're listening to Money Making Conversations. I'm interviewing uh, Skip Finley, his new book, Welling Captains of Color, America's First Meritocracy. Um, Skip, tell us about, uh, we were talking about the research. What exactly is a whaley master? Let's talk about that. What exactly, I want to, I want to start breaking right, down. The, word, the t- word master and captain are used interchangeably. Okay. Mm-hmm. Master really though is a better word because that man in charge of a whale ship was omnipotent. Okay. You know, when you're on a trip that, that averaged three to four years and they were, you couldn't have problems aboard ship. Right. Okay. Oh, Hey, Skip, talk to me. You, you're telling me that, okay, now, when a whaling ship went out, it didn't just go out and come right back. No, no, no. No. They went out and sailed the world. There's a, there's a, um, a beautiful, beautifully decorated map in the New Bedford Whaling Museum, and it has an uncountable number of dots on it all over the world red dots and blue dots you know, standing for the type of whale, a regular whale, right whale, they called it, or a sperm whale. You can't count them, okay? You know, these were the men, these whaling captains, in chasing whales, literally mapped our oceans as identified all of the islands and all of the oceans around the world. Mm-hmm. That's how long these trips took. The longest trip was a little over 11 years, Okay, you know, the captains changed several times, the crew same several times, but the boat from the place it left, it came back, took 11 years. Okay, okay, average, okay. okay hold no. on, Skip, Skip, okay, see, this, this, you know all this. Now, Rashawn read the book, now I'm hearing you talk very comfortably about this, but listeners are hearing this for the first time. So right. a boat left the dock, let's say New Bedford, New Bedford, okay, in Massachusetts, yep. did not come back for almost 11 years. Yes, Okay. Well, okay. How did they get paid? When did they drop off the oil? What was going on? All right. The boat would leave. <laughs> Most of the time, they'd leave New Bedford up here in New England. They head over towards Cape Verde, okay. which is off the coast of Africa. Along the way, they would hunt for whales. Once they found a whale, 
they would release, they would drop three or four smaller boats. The men would row out. Six men would row over to that whale. Okay. They got close <laughs> enough. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You got off a big boat, a got big in boat. a little bitty boat, and rowed to the big whale. That's right. And, <laughs> and the big boat wasn't that big. The big boat was like 120 feet long, most of them. Oh, my god. That's goodness. not very big. Okay. That's about six cars lined up end to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they get off the little bitty boat, get in these little rowboats, going up to about the whale. About 30 feet. Okay. These okay. little rowboats, and they're chasing animals that are a hundred feet. You know, or here, here, here's here's a here's a football reference for you. Okay, the smallest whale, a dwarf sperm whale, is about three hundred forty pounds, uh-huh. about the size of a defensive tackle. Right, 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 right. A three hundred thousand pound blue whale is about the size of the entire NFL. <laughs> so these men would row a boat over to one of these huge animals, you, you know, 80 to 100 pounds is probably about the size. <laughs> they would row it to it and stab it <laughs> and keep sticking it and stabbing it until it died. Meanwhile, it's pulling them all over. So they might wind up by the time the whale rolls over and dies. They're four miles away from the big boat. Then they have to tow that whale back to the boat, cut up into little tiny pieces, put it in the fireplaces, melted down the oil. On board, they had the wood in the staves. They would put the barrels hold together. Up, hold on, skip, skip. Everybody in the studio going, what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> what? Hold on, hold on. Because see, see, you've done all this research now. I know, I you've know. You've done it's all this hard, research. Man, That's why I'm trying to slow you down. Hold up, brother. See, we got we to gotta take all this in now. Okay, a whale, because I went whale watching, okay? And a whale came close to my boat. I told everybody, turn around. I'm out. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Look here. Everybody, you know, because I was on there with some other tourist people. They were mad at me. I said, hey, 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 hey. Y'all can stay out here. But they didn't tell me they were this big. Now, on TV, they look small. This little boat I'm next to, after, I had all kind of ideas in my head after I saw how close that whale came to my boat. Now, these people out there going out there making a whale that made me nervous. That was a happy whale. That was a happy right. whale I was running right. away from. They were making a whale that big angry. And you ain't sucking. That's right. <laughs> And, and chances are the whale you saw was a right whale, so it didn't have teeth, like a sperm whale. That was that was a highly valuable one. Their oil was the best because it didn't make smoke when it burned. Oh, okay. So they made candles out of it first. That's how it all started. Okay, okay, okay. And by the way, you know, thankfully, um, <laughs> whale watching is now a bigger business than whale killing ever was. Right, right, right. But let's get back to the whale killing. Because that's what this yep. book is all about. These, these, these African-American men. But, but let, me, uh, let me correct this. Men of color. Because you told yeah. in the book, you said this is not about African-American men. Because you have Native it's, American, yeah, it, mixed it, cultures. I, I, all that was stuff. one thing that struck me immediately. It's like, you know, you know, a slave is not American. A mm. West Indian is not American. A Cape Verdean is not American. But they're all black. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't call them all black because a lot of them were Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who were mixed you know, with our people, you know, right. and may as well be called black because of what they called, you know, um, you know, one drop makes you pure. Right. Mm-hmm. With, you mm-hmm. know, the base of one of the bases of slavery and making their own slaves. Right. You know, that that's in the book, but off the subject. Right. No, but that's part of the, That's part of why you wrote this, because of the fact that here are men of color who are leading non-colored men on a, on a boat. And, and they could flog, legally flog a white man on a whale ship who they couldn't look in the eye in the streets of South Carolina. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the, and, 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 and on and on. You know, the, the beauty uh, but, of this... But, it, but the, the point of it is, let me... You know, it, it wasn't so difficult killing the whale, capturing the whale, cutting the whale up. Right. But life on a whale ship was awful. It was horrid. Your space was roughly the size of a back seat of an SUV right. for three or four years. People ask, people ask me, you know, well, how did a black man become the captain? You know, well, the answer is, when the crew looked around and you're 1,200 miles offshore and the captain just died, fell sick, or became incapacitated, you don't care who it is right. that can catch you, you home. Try to get home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had the experience from all those trips we had taken. We learned how to do it. Right. But the, the beauty of uh, also your storytelling is that, you know, this is about being rewarded. That's where your t- the title of your book comes from being right. re- rewarded for your talent, being rewarded for your skill, and not being held back based on the color of your skin. That's where the title comes from, correct? These men lived Martin Luther King's future dream. Right, right, right. Because I was reading in your book, you says that the well oil was uh, peaked at $2.55 per gallon. Yeah. Back and then. I, and there's, there's probably 30, there's about 35 gallons per barrel. And a good and a good trip. You're coming back with 1,200 barrels, so it adds up fairly quickly. So basically, that was just liquid gold back then. Just liquid That's gold. That's right. Liquid gold. Liquid yeah, gold. Yeah, whaling, whaling as a, as a business enterprise was almost identically the model of venture capital today, or what we call hedge funds and private equity funds. Mm-hmm. That was what that was how whaling went when the captain and the crew was incentivized, you know, based upon their performance. When you had a group of people all invested into the venture, so of fifteen thousand nine hundred and thirteen whaling trips, each one was a separate business enterprise, and nobody cared who the captain was if he can bring the the whale ship home with a full haul. Right, right. As they used to say, and that's really really important. Now, in this book, yeah. uh, it was one captain in particular that you uh, that inspired you to write this book. You mentioned his name earlier, William A. Captain. Martin. William A. Martin. Martin, you, you started but, writing about him, then you discovered everything else, correct? Yes. Yeah. The, um, the Montemarie Magazine had done a, a special issue one time about the whale ship Charles W. Morgan. It's the last surviving whale ship. It was completely restored. Wow. They took it from Mystic, Connecticut, and brought it to New Bedford, brought it to Martha's Vineyard, Boston, a couple of other places. So, and when it came here to Montevina, we wanted to, in the magazine, you know, you know, really devote some attention to it, since, you know, seven or so of its captains were from Martha's Vineyard. One of them did not happen to be Captain Martin, but that's why they asked me to write this piece about him. Right. You know, because, you know, it was important to black. Well, you know, in the doing, I found, as it turns out, there were five black captains on Martha's Vineyard. Right. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. three that sailed from here. Mm-hmm. You know, which mm-hmm. was which was astounding because no one knew this. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will venture to say that thirty-five to forty of these fifty-two people, most people in the whaling industry and researchers have not heard their names, or would not have associated them with being black. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a. And that, that's, you know, that, that's kind of exciting. But, you know, if I got a little bit of that and kind of nerd historian in me, too. Well, the thing about it, you mentioned that about Martin in the book. You was talking about, you know, very rarely do they mention his color in the book. At all. Mm-hmm. That's true of most captains. In, in the logs, the captain writes the logs so he doesn't have to put that information in there. Right. It's when the, when the crew gets on board the ship, 
you know, they had a man, uh, the customs officer, and he would jot down the name, the height, the, you know, how the people looked, the race and things like that, you know, on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And it would be attendant with the log, with the owner, say, know who was on the boat, and they could compare it with, you know, when they came back. But if it wasn't for what that was called the um, um, Siemens Protection Papers, right. I would not have been able to find any of this. Wow. Now, today, you can't even keep that information about mm-hmm. people. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, and, and they, they started the Siemens Protection Papers dating back to the Revolutionary War mm-hmm. when the British, you know, would impress our people. Right. And we didn't really have a sailing fleet until the War of 1812 when they continued to impress our people. Right. And the, sh- the Siemens Protection Papers function like a passport. Wow. This is who you are and where you're from. And the, the story is, is, is astounding. And what I tried to do was, was to write it, you know, you know in, in a way that it would be easy to read, easy to comprehend without, you know, all of the facts. And, you, and you've I'll, accomplished I'll that. You have it accomplished that. It was so hard skip. and so bad. I highlighted how hard it was. Right, right. Which is the reason we went and other people didn't. Right. But, the, you know, the young 16-year-old, you know, blue-eyed, blonde-haired kids from the town of Eggertown, you know, thinking, I'm going to go out and make my fortune on this whaleboat. Mm-hmm. You know, by time he had gone two buoys offshore about 16 miles, he'd spent the last week throwing up. Right, right. Yeah, I want to go home. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I we was uh, talking about it earlier. I want, I want to, because I was so astounded by you talking about how whales are captured. Walk us through that step again, because I want to make sure my audience hears that whole process without me interrupting. They, they spot a whale, right? Yeah. Well, they, well here, here's the, here's the entire sequence. Okay, cool. You, you hear, you know, it's it's dead quiet. Boats sailing, you know, in the breeze. Somebody's and the man says, "The blows," and everybody jumps up and the adrenaline starts pumping. They go to those three whale boats. They lower those boats into the water. Six guys in each boat. They row as fast as they can towards where the guy's pointing to see that whale. Mm-hmm. They wait until they see the spout. They get closer and closer and closer. Everybody's quiet. One guy, the harpooner. You know, gets up and in front of the boat, and he throws that harpoon into the whale. The record, by the way, which I have in the book, is about 40 feet. 42 In feet. other words, every other whale, was, you were closer to it mm-hmm. in a 30-foot boat. So when your friend <laughs> says, I got a boat, his boat's probably 30 feet or bigger. <laughs> That's what these six guys are using to row after these, after these whales. Mm-hmm. They stab a stab a stab a sperm whale. You know, all of a sudden, when it spouts red, they know the fish is going to die. Then it rolls over, which is called a flurry. They tie ropes to it, and they row that boat and tow that big, heavy thing back. So there were times, if you're four miles away from the main boat, okay, you may be rowing most of the night, not missing a beat. You get back up to the boat, they tie the thing alongside. Then they begin the process of butchering it. But you also have to worry about sharks, too, correct? The sharks are, are eating it while they're towing it. They're eating it while it's being butchered. The smells are awful. Yeah. Okay, now, <laughs> you now, know, now the people have said to me, you know, well, you know, what, what's the worst part about, besides things, like, what are some of the worst things about? I said, well, there was two stories that I, that I read about whaling. Mm-hmm. Um, one was, <clears throat> the man's in his bunk in the fossil, and he's not that concerned about being completely, completely covered with roaches because they're eating the bed bugs. 
Another was they washed their clothes in urine. They have a communal power. You know, you know, fresh water goes bad on the boat, so they drank other things. But how bad did your clothes smell? <laughs> <laughs> that, that urine was a substitute to clean your clothes. For three to four years, this is your experience. <laughs> but if goodness. that's your experience, you know, versus being on a on a plantation someplace, yes, sir. I don't know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I you, don't know. I don't know. All I know, Skip, this is, uh, I want to thank you for calling my show, man. You are as just as engaging and entertaining as as I've known you all those years. Again, the book is out. You can buy it via pre-sale. You can buy it online, Amazon.com. Pre-sale it right yeah. now. It comes out officially, what, June 18th? I believe it's the official June date. June 15th. June 15th. And, and, and please buy it now because it counts towards your first week sales, and I'm trying to get towards at least one of those bestseller lists someplace. Okay, cool. Well, this is what I want to do. Uh, well, give me a banner. I'm going to put it on all my social media because I'm telling you, I'm a fan of you. You know that. I'm a fan of this book. A great book, Skip. A book that, that I love you, man. It's going to be a documentary. It's going to be a movie. It's going to be many things. And I want to get in line before a lot of people get in line to start I'm, talking I'm already, about it. I'm already working on the on the fictional treatment of a slave who becomes a whaling captain. In fact, I'll tell you his name is Jubal. Jubal, my friend. <laughs> we will talk soon. Thank you. But get those banners to me, okay? So I can get you, you on that it. bestseller. Thank I, you I'll so post much. it this weekend. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. Back. Bye-bye. My next guest, the founder, CEO, and owner of Kika Stretch Studios. That is headquarters in New Jersey. She is the youngest female franchiser in the U.S. She also has been named one of the top female entrepreneurs of 2018 by Huffington Post and has been featured in Shape Magazine, New York Times, Men's Fitness, and more. Launched in 2011, the Kika Stretch Studios franchise includes 11 locations in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas, and Nevada. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Kika Wise. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I had to get it all out. You know, I had to get it all out. What a great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was awesome. Well, you know, you're an awesome person because uh, you was able to, uh, I always tell people, that we, we hear the words thrown out there a lot, passion, gifts, uh, follow your dreams. You know, before you found this particular dream, you was headed in a different direction with your career, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> so I actually was a professional dancer and actress. And so I performed and acted in the industry for a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was about to have a son. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant with a son. And so at that moment, I said, you know, I really need to find something that's a little bit more stable because I want to offer him things that I couldn't do when I was a child. So right. that's when I decided, should I start a business or go back to school? And so... People said, don't start a business. Most businesses <laughs> fail, blah, blah, blah. You know, that statistic in the first three years. That, 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 so those those haters are out there, right? They'll tell you. Don't start. Always out there. I don't understand your dream, but don't start it. I don't know what your dream I don't understand the work or your plan, yes. but don't start it. Exactly. So I started it. Um, and, yeah, history started then. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Kiko. You know, you, you, you say that I started it. Where did you start it? Well, let's talk about that that first idea, you know, because, you know, I remember when I started doing stand-up, I remember when I opened my first comedy club. It wasn't the place where I originally started it, but it was a starting point and eventually enabled me to go where I really became. Now you're, you know, 11 franchises around the country. Where did the first 
studio start? So I opened the first studio in Montclair, New Jersey, mm-hmm. on top of a CVS. It's a pharmacy. So I shared a room with a real estate agent. So I had like <laughs> half of a room the size of a closet. And I had a mat and I had a ball. And so I decided, let me start stretching people the way, you know, I love to stretch as a dancer. So I created a routine that was based on my own routine, but I replaced gravity with the stretch coach, which is the person that helps the person stretch. So I started with one client when he bought his first package. I was so excited. Like this man actually gave me $200 for a few (laughs) seconds. This is a great idea. So that gave me more power to move forward. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, one person, one person, you saw a future, you saw an opportunity, you saw a vision, you saw, wow, I could do this. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and, people and, said you're either onto something or you're crazy, <laughs> but the, motiva- <laughs> the motivating factor at the time was my son and to provide for him to also be a part of his life. Like, mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, I still drop my son off at school. Right. And I pick him up on most days. So that was very important to me. So my why was so big. Like, no matter what the haters said, I was like, I didn't listen. I just kept going because I knew I could do it on behalf of my son. So, yeah. You know, here's the great thing about it. I'm talking to uh, Kika Wise. He's the uh, founder, CEO, and owner uh, of Kika Stretch Studios, which is a franchised in 11 locations around the country, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas, and Nevada. Now, Kika, I live in Texas. I have a home in Houston, and I have a home in Atlanta, Georgia. Where in Mm. Texas and where in Atlanta are you located? So we're located in Dallas, Texas, um, in the Highland Park area. Absolutely. And actually, our Atlanta studio is in the heart of Buckhead, and they just moved into a bigger location so you would love it you have to stop by okay i'm going to stop by let me just tell you about you know i always tell people when they come on my show when i when i have a personal experience i always try to share just to validate why this interview is important not only to me to my people who listen to the show or because of the fact that stretching changed my life in the sense of Mm. of of, because you know i travel a lot and i did i did the system you know i walk I walk a mile a day, and I would uh, do light weights and all that stuff. But I was my core was failing me, okay, and because I, I fly a lot. I remember last year I did 121 one way trips, which was like a uh, 122, like 61 round trips in one year. Wow! And so no matter, I, I don't care if it was first class seat, conference seat, it didn't matter. You still was at that little angle, okay. <laughs> and so yeah. and so when I when I and so so and, and my daughter. It was funny. My daughter, she was a former professional tennis player, and my wife would always tell mm-hmm. me stretch, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to it. Whatever, whatever, and I would just right. go in there, lift my little weights. Hey, I was, I thought I was looking fine. I was looking fine. Okay, <laughs> it was working for me. It was working for me. Okay, and then, right. but it wasn't working for me. You know, I, my neck was still bothered. My back, my, 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 my stride was getting shorter and shorter. I could tell, and and when I wanted to walk, I had to make an effort to walk. Like I wanted to walk, and it wasn't until right. I started stretching that it it changed. It it, it yeah. changed, it, and, and 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 it wasn't like, and so that's what I do now. My, and I, I want to tell you something. My my, I think my body looks better than it has ever mm-hmm. looked. I have no love handles, you know. I mm. and, and and my my core and my back issues. My I, my flexibility is amazing, 
and my stride mm-hmm. is comfortable now. I don't have to make yes. an effort, and I don't walk like an old person anymore. Exactly. Yeah, people have always slept on, you know, stretching, like, oh, it's not, it's not cool, it's boring. So what I really tried to do was make it a unique experience so people would love to do it. And it's just so powerful for mentally, for your brain, for the blow, flow of blood throughout your whole body mm-hmm. to prevent injuries and just to reset your mind because people are so stressed out and they're just so tense. They think it's normal. Right. But then when they come into our studio and they lie there for an hour and have someone stretch them out, they're like, I dreamt about this. Right. My whole life. <laughs> so, it's, That's it, what we do. It really is amazing. Yeah. I'm, you know, I have a very close friend. Uh, he was uh, he was just diagnosed with first stage Parkinson, and we talked. Oh, no, uh, we talked, and uh, he's 51. And, um, and I told him, hey, I, and, I, and I told him, I said, look, I said, start stretching. I said, just start stretching. Right. He, he called me a week later and said, man, I can't believe how better how, how I feel. It, it makes a huge difference. And I just got to say that. I'm not saying this is a miracle drug. This is just taking your natural body and relaxing it yep. and stretching it. And and that's why I feel that what you're doing is important. Uh, we, are, we have a lot of things out there. We have hot yoga. We got Peloton. We got, yeah. we, we got uh, you know, pal, uh, Pilates and all that I'm a stretch man now, Kika. I'm your I'm your boy now. You, know, uh, you definitely I, I, have to come then. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your boy. I'm, I'm coming. I'm, I'm just gonna let you know because it was so funny. I was uh, I was just three weeks ago. I was about to sign up for a Pilates class because I live in the uh, Alpharetta area. Buckhead is where actually where, where the studios is where I record oh, my show. But and so we also have a, we also have a location in Vining. I don't know if that's close. Well, absolutely, girl. You on point with me, okay? Me and you good. <laughs> me and you really good. And so, so I, I, I just, I just can't wait to open the location in DC so I can tell my friend so he can go there. And let, let, let me just explain to everybody what happens with the Kika method. Now, if you're dealing with achy muscles, which is especially around the neck, shoulders, and other core muscles, that's why I'm talking about the core muscles, which I don't have mm-hmm. a problem with anymore. And the pain or stiffness in joining muscles, that's what I was talking about in my stride. My stride was getting right. shorter. I thought I thought I was still being cool, but I was just really making a lot more effort for a shorter distance. Okay, right. <laughs> and then muscle cramps and limited range of motion. Right there, key right there. And let me, uh, you know, some I'm just telling people who get over fifty. Okay, yeah, and, and that's me. Okay, and so what happens? Mm-hmm. 60, 70. and what happens is, and this is what I discovered. That's why I'm so excited about this interview with you and we're about to get out of this break and what I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the next break because, you know, I'm enjoying myself. I hope you're enjoying this interview because, because, because yeah. the fact that you are changing people's lives and I want to motiva- motivate people to understand that, that what, what, you, what somebody told you was a bad idea that started with one person and $200 is going to be saving lives, are going to be improving the quality of life for so many people and and it's some common sense things that you see every day. You see athletes, professional athletes, football players, before they play, they stretch. They show you stretching. Basketball players, if you go to a game prior to the game, go early, basketball players, they're stretching. Yeah. They're stretching. Mm-hmm. They're not stretching because of the, they just like to stretch. They know that's how they can play longer and go get, don't get injured. 
Okay. There you go. That's key. That's yep. key. That's key. So when we come back, we're going to have more of an incredible conversation I'm having right with Kika, the owner. Kika Wise is her full name. Kika, Kika Stretch Studios. Uh, she's the CEO and owner and founder. We'll be right back with more money making conversations. Cool. I'm going to in doing a break. I'm going to do a little stretching. <laughs> we'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn's show? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you always say, Rashawn, yes. uh, can you give me, can we talk, can we talk? I, I mean, always talk to you about everything, <laughs> everything. And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too, because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. Mm-hmm. I felt like at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be motivated. You know for a fact now that you're about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversations. She launched it in uh, 2011. It's an idea. Uh, people told her it was a bad idea. Why are you wasting your time? Go back to school. Go to something that they could understand. That's what I always talk about on money making conversations. That a lot of people tell your tell you your ideas are bad because they have not taken the time to understand your idea. So they, what they do is they they warp or they wrap their information or their comments about what they know, what they understand, what they can relate to. So that's where mentorship comes into play. That's where you have to surround yourself with people who are like minded. So they won't shut down your idea. They won't shut down. I remember when I was at IBM and and I, I wanted to be a stand-up comic. And I and I went to some people who were working normal, 40-hour-week jobs, and told them I was going to be a stand-up comic. I was going to leave IBM. They went, that's a dumb idea. You're going to leave a steady check. You're going to leave a health benefits. You're going to leave a retirement package. And how much money are you going to make? And I honestly told them, I don't know. Well, mm-hmm. the insults came faster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And so, and so that's why I always tell people, you know, we all have passion. We all have dreams. And Kiko, when I look at what you're doing, and you're a millennial, and a lot of millennials get, get a bad rap. You know, they want it faster. You know, they, you know, they don't want to work hard for yeah. it. I'm just tell you, if I was your age and I had the technology that you have available to you today, when I was growing up, I be they be bad mouthing Rashawn. Because they be bad mouthing me left exactly. and right. Cause my social media my social media be on fire. I wouldn't be talking to nobody. I'll be on I'll be walking around with my phone. I wouldn't have a big screen TV. I'll be doing everything on my phone. Cause that's what my life is. That's what I feel comfortable with. And so when I look yeah. at your with what what this is what I love about what you're doing. You're a uh, millennial that has found the secret sauce for people <laughs> my age. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And so, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, most people just focus on millennials. Like, oh, we have to build our business models to attract millennials and millennials. And we're sitting here like, what makes us so special? What about everybody else, you know, other generations? And so there hasn't really been too many models created for baby boomers. Don't get me wrong. We have clients as young as seven years old that come. Mm-hmm. But 
do have a large majority of baby boomers because <laughs> they they are seeking, you know, one-on-one attention. They don't want to be in rooms full of people mm-hmm. scratching on, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's really is it really is our secret sauce. Well, you know, the beauty of it, and I, this is a very good interview, you know, people say, well, what, what does this have to do with entrepreneurship? What does this have to do with career planning? Ooh. Because if you're not physically right, mentally right, then the dreams that you are trying to pursue in life will not be reached comfortably. And that's what you're trying to do in life. You're trying to comfortably get to the end, to the end game. The end game is all these dreams you have in place, all these goals you have in place that you can get up every day out of bed and then go to bed when you want to and not complain because... The physicality of that effort is key to whether you're going to accomplish any of those goals. So when yes. someone comes to your studio, Kika Stretch Studio, walk us through the process. So you you would come in, um, you would fill out a waiver intake form. So you're going to let us know everything you're experiencing in your body, if you have any injuries, if you have any pain. Then we're going to bring you through a presentation that shows you uh, like an old school PowerPoint presentation about what we're about to do, how it's going to be beneficial to you. And then we take you through a form that actually hones in on the exact reason why you came in to the studio today. Mm -hmm. So based on that, that's going to be our goal for the entire experience. So if you tell us my hamstrings have been sore for years, we're going to target your hamstrings and help unlock that part of your body. What most people don't realize is it's usually one muscle group that's preventing your whole body from relaxing. So once we unlock that, then you'll be able to live more free. We also measure your stretch age. So we have a measuring system where we tell you how old you are flexibility wise. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it does not have anything to do with your actual birth age is completely based on your flexibility. Mm -hmm. So we compare that number before the session and after the session, usually after the session, people get or lose three inches of tension after 45 minutes. So yeah, we're providing all types (laughs) of results. (laughs) I mean, that's the wow moment. What? 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 Yes. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So people see it like, wow, I feel better. But I have visible results that I've I've done better than I have in thirty years, just in forty five minutes. Well, you know, it's really interesting uh, when I when I when I finally listened to my wife, finally, finally got my behind on the floor. Okay, I had <laughs> I had pads everywhere. It wasn't like I wasn't like I didn't have access to it. It was my mind went, this will do nothing for me. This is a right. why stretching. What, what is there? What is the benefit of that? And all the while I'm complaining, like you said, I had this muscle group and the muscle group that was bothering me was my right buttocks area or that kind of little above my right hip. I mean, I, I would, I would lean and I would, I would walk, I would waddle, I'd walk, I would do everything, put some ice on it, icy hot, everything. <laughs> yes. I was in oh. denial. I needed yeah. you, Kika. Where were you at? I needed you. And the thing is, like, people can only go so far on their own. So, like, I stretch by myself all the time, mm-hmm. but I'm just stretching by myself. It really takes, just like you said, mentors help you get to another level in life. Mm-hmm. It really takes a stretch coach to help you get to another level physically, a place where you've never experienced before, a place of freedom all through your body. You need help. You can't do it on your own because people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been stretching for years. But then we look at them like, why are you so tight? <laughs> right, right. Because you've been stretching by yourself for years. So what we've really done is develop 
a way for people to receive freedom within their own bodies. And in 2011, I was the only one doing it. Now we have competitors who are emulating what we've set up. So it's, it's, it's people always ask me like, wow, how do you feel about that? And I tell them I'm honored. I started an industry and these huge companies are trying to mimic it. Like it's a, it's a great feeling. <laughs> well, you know, guess first of all, you know, they are not on money making conversation. Kika Wise is on Money Making Conversation because she have a passionate <laughs> voice here that's going to always yeah. shout out your name and your brand. It's going to show up yeah. in class and start stretching. You can help me get flexier or flexible yeah. or, or I can yeah. bend a little bit more. Come on, I can work with that. <laughs> I'm going to make up about five words before we finish this show. But uh, yeah. let's talk about this uh, a little bit of the business side because we're talking about franchises yeah. and, you know, it's always easy, you know, when you when you control the baby, you know the you know the food come out, you cook it in that oven because you you around it all the time. When you start selling franchises, you know that's just your brand, and then you put your brand in the hands of somebody else and trusting them. Yeah. You, the money's yeah. fine, but it's still your name's up there. How do you? Yeah. How did you get past that? And what are the benefits of you know of franchising? So actual okay so. I just had this conversation with someone. So I, I mentor people and I help them franchise their own businesses too. So one of the things he said was, I'm horrible with paperwork. I'm, I'm not organized in locations, but I'm just not organized enough to make it grow. And that's one of the benefits of having franchisees. You can find franchise partners who are great in areas that you're not great at. Right. Bring them on. And then together as a unit, you're whole. So one of the things that I've really learned this year specifically is the power of having exceptional franchisees. And, you know, when I first started, I used to say, oh, this is what we can do for you. This is what we can offer you. And then I said, I need to ask, what can you offer us? What can you offer me? What can you offer the brand? Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely something very important for people to ask, like when franchising, what is this franchisee? How are they going to help you? And what can they add to the whole message? So, really, you know, it's mm-hmm. really because you, it is you, that, that you have the right to ask that question because everybody they see an opportunity, they see an opportunity to make money. That's when yes. you have to put the pump the brakes right there. Okay, I yes. got that, but it also is the work you're willing to put in. Do you care about the brand? And do you care about the people that are going to be coming through that door? Because yeah. that's where the customer relationships come in. That's when you can get the ugly other good social media posts. And when a social media yeah. post goes out there, that's across the brand. Okay. Yeah. That's across exactly. the brand. And so, and I was reading, I was reading in your bio, and there's three valuable pieces of advice about franchising. One, be passionate about whatever opportunity you are pursuing. Two, you don't have to quit your job to go after your dream. Work your way into it. I tell people all the time. If you're feeling overwhelmed, I love this. Delegate, delegate, (laughs) delegate. (laughs) Yes. Every day I ask myself, what else can I delegate? Because I'm feeling overwhelmed. (laughs) And that's, that's honestly the, that's the point of being in business to offer jobs to people. So you shouldn't be trying to do everything. You should be offering these opportunities to others and helping their families grow, not just yours. Now, your studios, your method, can you explain? Did we walk through your method a couple of, uh, can you just explain your method a little bit more before we wrap up the show so I can make sure everybody understand what exactly is the Kika method? Yep. 
So it's based on the dancer's approach of stretching. So we use stretch coaches that replace gravity. So as the client lies on a custom mat, so you're lying on a mat the whole time, we teach you how to completely let go of all of your tension. So you're lying there limp and we follow your breath pattern to add the stretch. So imagine lying there completely limp. You don't have to hold your body up. You're just relaxed and having someone take you a bit further than you could ever go on your own. And that we do your entire body. We end it with a little bit of a tension relief um, treatment on your back. And then you stand up and you feel like a new person. Okay, do I need to bring a pillow, blanket? Uh, <laughs> we have pillows. We actually do have um, stretch-specific pillows. I feel you, you, you can you, take a nap if there's I know. You're about to, you're about to look over to Rashad. Rashad, 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 Rashad. <laughs> I, I, if I start snoring in the Buckhead class, that's me. Somebody, but this guy came and he was dressed nice, and then he went to sleep in the, in the, right in the middle of the He snored. That's Rashawn. That's Rashawn. So that's fine. Oh, good. Yeah. See what I'm there you go. I love it. I love it. I love it. So what's the future? <laughs> what's the future of Kika Stretch Studio? What's the future? In 11, 11 locations, what is the future? Yeah, so this year we're looking to add seven more franchisees, uh, uh, qualified candidates that can really add to the overall brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, scaling and adding um, to the unit is always important. But then we're also working on creating a franchise university of some sort. So people who maybe don't have enough money to get involved or people who don't see it as being an outlet, a way to, you know, grow. Um, we're looking to educate people on exactly what franchising is because there's not really too much out there. Wow. So we're looking to help everyone. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to the youngest female franchiser in the U.S. And 2018, um, top female entrepreneur, was named top female entrepreneur, by Huffington Post, and she's amazing. Uh, 11 locations and counting. She wants seven more or more, seven or more in uh, 2020. Uh-huh. Not, not lim- don't limit ourselves on the number. If if 12 comes, she's cool because she knows how to delegate, absolutely. delegate, delegate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, boy, this is awesome. First of all, I'm a fan of yours, and uh, I, 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 I would definitely push anything that you have. I definitely want some... Uh, some some banners. If you want me to post it on my social media, I will feel free to send them to oh, you because because awesome. I know what stretching has done for me, and I have not been to your studio. I've been not been to your location, so the excitement of going in there, knowing that you can take me to another level and make my life yeah. better, and I know what yeah. the impact of I'm, I'm I'm doing it in an amateur manner. I'm about to go into a world where professionals tell you, Rashawn, you're doing good, but guess what? You can do better." And I'm gonna tell you something. There you go. If you can make me do better than what I'm doing now. Wow, because I'm feeling great right now, and you're telling me, Rashawn, there's another level, and you come to my studios, we'll take care of you. I want to thank you for uh, being on my show. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This is Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is the Vice President of Business Development and Operations for Live Nation Urban. The company was established to better cater to underserved audiences by developing original urban-focused events, festival brands, and strategic content partnerships for emerging, established, and classic hip-hop, R&B, and gospel artists. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Brandon Pankey. Uh, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Had to get there, man. Had to 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 put a little love out there for you. Let everybody know who I'm talking to. (laughs) 
you know, you sounded amazing. Sounded amazing. I'm telling you, Brandon. When when I when I do that intro about Live Nation, we all know that's a brand. So tell us about the Live Correct. Nation brand. Sure. I mean, Live Nation is the, the the global leader in live entertainment. I mean, anywhere you go around the world, if you're looking any concert that you're making a, t- a ticket purchase to, more than likely it's a concert from Live Nation. And so, you know, with that being said, you know, Live Nation Urban was developed in 2017, really to focus on developing events and platforms and emerging artists in hip-hop, R&B, and gospel. You know, Live Nation is a phenomenal company, but there was such a, you know, there was white space, you know, particularly in this, you know, hip-hop and R&B and gospel genres to really develop new platforms. Mm -hmm. No, it's really interesting that you're saying that because of the fact that, you know, my history was Steve Harvey. So, you know, I, I promoted all of his concerts when I managed yep. him from 2000 to 2016. So going into the venue, promoting the venue, getting the right acts, getting the right ticket yep. price. Because that's what I catered to. You know, before Steve became Mr. Family Feud, you know, our audience was an urban audience. So, you know, we selling right. out, you know, different venues all over the country. And that was our audience base. And there is a particular way you they have to be treated and they have to be promoted to. Tell us about it. Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, you can't use a cookie-cutter marketing plan, you know, for a hip-hop audience that we may use for a pop audience or for a rock audience. There's a way that you have to cater to that audience. There's a way that you need to speak to that audience. And, and quite honestly, that's another reason why Live Nation Urban, you know, was created, because, you know, we are African-Americans in this space that understand other African-Americans. And so it's easier for us to market. It's easier for us to come up with ideas that make sense for this particular audience. And so... We're here, we're, we're established, and, and we're really doing some amazing things um, going into our third year. Now, it was something interesting you said. You said strategic content partnerships for emerging, established, and classic hip-hop, R&B, and gospel artists. Let's talk about the emerging. What, what, what do you consider an emerging artist? An, an emerging artist to us, you know, it's, it's a couple things. One, it's an artist that may have just gotten signed to a label but doesn't, understand what it takes to have a live touring career. Mm-hmm. See, there's a difference between going on stage and performing live and having a sustaining touring career. It's a right. bunch of artists that get up on stage and they may have, um, you know, a year of success, but then after that year, what happens next when that audience dies down? What we try to do is really cultivate artists so that they have a core fan base, mm-hmm. build those artists up from clubs and theaters. And so five years from, from you know, from that moment, they're now in amphitheaters and arenas you know, hopefully one day stadiums. It's about right. really developing artists mm-hmm. and, and creating a sustaining career for that artist. Because quite honestly, you know, 80 to, to 85% of an artist's revenue now comes from touring. Come on now. And so if, if that, you know, aspect of their career is not solidified or is not strong, guess what? That, that artist, you know, is not going to last long in, in a very, very cutthroat industry. You know, it's really uh, funny you say that because, you know, I did the neighborhood awards many years. Steve and I did it, uh, uh, honoring up uh, uh, what we consider stars in the neighborhood, and we always had established talent. You know, like OJ's is established. You know, a Babyface was established. Uh, you know, the New Edition. These are established people. So when they, like you sure. said, they they make their money on tour. And so, Correct. and I would go to them. I would go, Hey man, uh, I just need one song. They go, We're not gonna do one song. <laughs> I said, I, 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 The money's not gonna change. No, no. You know, from Charlie Wilson on up. They, and, I, and I always wind up having to give them 20 minutes because they would say this. They would say, look, Rashawn, what we cannot have happen is, you know, because you're going to put our name up on a banner. You're going to put our name and you're yep. going to promote us. We can't have somebody come in that arena and go, 
OJ's only did one song, man. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. He said, mm-hmm. bad news travels fast. Good news stays yep. with the people. And they may share it or they may not share it. And that's where you talk about established talent. Established talent have to hold on to their reputation and because that's where they make their bottom line. That's right. I, I can't imagine if they did one song at that event, you know, at, at, at the neighborhood. <laughs> and then someone saw it and was like, oh, they only did one song. So when they come back to that city yes. and like, oh, well, the OJs are new addition, they're performing. Well, they only did one song last time. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not paying $100 or yes, whatever that yes, dollar yes, amount is yes, if yes. they don't put on a good show. And yes. that's why they do it. Because yes. they've took, taken years to build up that fan base. And one performance could, could make that fan base you know, decline, unfortunately. Yeah, in that particular city, for sure, and also with yep. social media, you know, people, you, you, you go online all the time. People <laughs> hold up a camera and, and they, they're videotaping and they have some comment they might be saying, it's the only song they did. Next thing you know, that can go viral and that can mess up. Next thing you know, they're explaining themselves throughout the whole touring process when, they go to, when they're doing a radio interview. No, we're going to do the entire concert. Who needs that headache? So with that being said, the reason I brought that up is that there has to be, yes, you have the Live Nation brand associated with you, but there has sure. to be a trust factor put in place for you to get the talent, especially established talent, to work with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, yes, we have the Live Nation urban brand behind us, but ultimately it's about relationships. And, I, and I'll say this to, to your listeners. In any field you're in, in any industry you're in, I, I'll argue that 80% of your job is building, sustaining, and having trusting relationships with people. Because ultimately, there are a bunch of people that can do what I do, but if we don't trust each other or work well together, it doesn't matter. And so relationship building is the fundamental, you know, I say one of the cores or tenets of being in music or being in any industry, as I just stated. And so, and yes, to your point, yes, we have the Live Nation brand, but they have to trust us and know that we're going to make sure that we put them in the best position possible to have the, the best produced, you know, the, the most quality performance so that they can go out and give a, a great show to their fans. You know, it's really interesting because, you know, you really are talking about a lot here. When you're talking about uh, classic hip-hop, okay, then you're talking about mm-hmm. R&B, and then you're talking mm-hmm. about gospel artists. Now, you know, I've had, do you do anything with comedians? Uh, not yet, but okay. it's coming. Oh, I know it has to be coming now because <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm starting to see, uh, especially in Atlanta. You know, State Farm Arena. Every time I look up, every month a big show is yep. coming through town here, and so, but it's not. I'm not hearing Live Nation Urban tied to that at all. So that's well, definitely a market it, that's out there. <laughs> and let me say this in, in regards to comedy. So we're building a brand. It's called um, Black Thought from the Roots. Oh, okay. actually hosts a comedy uh, event mm-hmm. that we've had um, in Philadelphia. We've had in the Montreal. Um, comedy festival. We've had it um, at the New York Comedy Festival. So it's something, it's a brand that we're building, but outside of that, we are definitely planning to get more into comedy as well. Sorry to interrupt you. Well, no, 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 no. This is great. This is great information because of the fact that I'm just letting everybody know how you guys operate as far as, and how you're taking a particular interest because I was about to slide over to the gospel artists. Now, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I remember uh, several years ago, I did a tour with, uh, Kurt Franklin and Steve Harvey. And Steve Harvey mm-hmm. was not going to use any profane language but on stage during this tour. And it was the most difficult tour for me to do from a promotional standpoint because I really didn't know my audience. You know, I knew who Steve's audience was, but who exactly were the gospel audience? How, where do you go to reach these people? Because, you know, you, people say, well, just, you know, just, just advertise on the gospel stations. I did that. But it, but it wasn't until I just advertised on just the regular stations. 
that I got mm-hmm. the response I had because of the fact that church people, everybody, church people, church people, church people listen to R&B, church people listen to hip hop, church people, are church people, and it was because of that's the whole part of what you have to do as a, as a leader in this particular brand is understand how to reach your market, and that's what you were saying. This is why it's necessary to have this particular brand under Live Nation, urban brand. Correct. And, and just so you know, so in the gospel space, <clears throat> to your point, we've actually partnered with Kirk Franklin mm-hmm. um, for his Exodus Music and Arts Festival, which is in Dallas, Texas. Oh, that's my favorite. Third- that's my favorite. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And it's third year. We're going to sell it out again this year. We're looking to expand into other markets um, in 2020. And so, you know, to your point, it's not only going, you know, on the gospel stations. We actually go into the churches. But, but guess what? We're on the, the, the regular urban AC, you know, adult contemporary <laughs> station as well. Because yes. the Jill Scott audience yes. is also, they yes. may be at a Jill Scott concert Saturday, yes. but they're going to church on Sunday. Yes. So yes. You, you can't neglect a certain, we're all, you know, some of us have certain religious beliefs, but ultimately we're all people and we all love music. So, all, you know, you can't you know, discern the quote-unquote gospel audience from a, you know, a traditional concert-going audience because we're all, we're all going to concerts. Well, it's really great that you brought up Kirk Franklin and the, uh, and the concert festival that he does in uh, Dallas and May because mm-hmm. I've been promoting it the last couple of years with him. So in a way, we've, we've had a relationship and I didn't even know it there, Brandon. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> which, about is that? A, which is a beautiful thing. Which is, because, you know, my whole thing in, in, in establishing this brand of money-making conversation was to create, it's about relationship, like you spoke about earlier. You know, it's about connecting the dots and giving individuals a platform, individuals like you, to be able to speak your brand, build your brand, communicate why your brand is important and how it affects a lot of people strategically, which is also part of your introduction because that's what you're trying to do, create these relationships with entertainment that really reaches the core audience that's really demanding it but oftentimes doesn't get it. Correct. And I, and I think just to give you part of our, our, our strategy, and I think you know, I want to give a special shout-out to, to the president of Live Nation Urban, Sean G., for, for you know, really having the vision to, to have this. You know, what we want to do is create opportunities for artists that may not have those opportunities. When you look at the, the festival landscape, for example, you'll see your Coachellas, you see your Bonnaroos, Lollapaloozas, but what you don't see, these, these festivals, you know, they cater to every audience. You know, you may have three R&B acts, you may yes. have four rock acts, you may have four pop acts. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a smorgasbord of, of different, you know, artists, but mm-hmm. nothing that super serves a particular demographic. Right. So what we've done or create festivals, create events, create platforms that super serve emerging hip-hop, you know, classic hip-hop, R&B, emerging R&B, gospel artists, emerging Mm -hmm. different platforms, different festivals for different artists. So now, in, you know, let's call it 2021, if I'm a hip-hop artist, you know, I have my own, you know, you can go to Live Nation Urban and you can be on 10 events in a year where in the past maybe you were hoping to get on one or two festivals or one or two different events and platforms. And that's why we were, you know, really created to give opportunities for underserved audiences. Well, you know, it's important you say that because because gospel artists were really going back performing in mega churches a few years ago mm-hmm. because they had kind of yep. lost their voice in the arenas and, and the, the right promoters didn't trust it or didn't do the right packaging to get them back out there being appreciated. And so it's important that, you understand the brand. You understand the the ability to be able to to grow this brand. Now you said a name right there, Sean G. It's the same Sean G from Philadelphia. Yes, it is. Uh, that's my man right there, Sean G. 
Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. times I've, I've worked with that young man selling our <laughs> concerts. But, but come on now, that's that, that's that's your fearless leader over there. That's it. <laughs> I that, love that, it, that, man. You know, been working with Sean since 2006 in, in, in helping to build you know what what we have today. Oh, I'm gonna tell you something, man. A special individual. I know I used to come to Sean for talent and. Uh, and he, you know, like I said, you know, I'm an, I'm an emerging promoter and I had an emerging brand and he and he would work with me because I had the ability to play music on the air, too. That helped the relationship as well. But he understood the relationship. And so to, right. to see that you have Sean G as the as the overarching visionary of this whole process with Live, Live Nation Urban, Urban, excuse me, Live Nation Urban, it's congratulations, man. Congratulations. When we come back, I want to talk more about some more program projects you have, uh, this app you have, this uh, 12th Annual Roots Picnic <laughs> that's coming up. A lot more to talk about, talk about with my man, Brandon Pankey, Live Nation Urban. As host of Money Making Conversations, Rashawn McDonald is uniquely positioned to provide a step-by-step, easy-to-understand blueprint that drives listeners to realize their dreams and aspirations. Until you do the business plan or incorporate or actually create that product or start selling products, the universe doesn't have to deal with you. Money Making Conversations is an innovative platform that delivers financial literacy to help everyone with their brand success. It's good to have a money making conversation with somebody that make money. Excuse <laughs> me. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald. I'm speaking to the Vice President of Business Development and Operations for Live Nation Urban. The company was established to better cater to underserved audiences by developing original urban-focused events, festival brands, and strategic content partnerships for emerging, established, and classic hip-hop, R&B, and gospel artists. My man, Brandon Pankey. Hey, Brandon, it's really interesting uh, when I see, because I, I see a lot more hip-hop concert, concerts out there now. And I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I'm old school, you know, and at one time, you know, it was, it was like a, you couldn't ensure a hip-hop artist uh, concert. Right. So, you know, really, you know, they'd they, they be tearing up the dressing room. they they light the stage on fire. They were like bad boys of ignorance when I was coming up. And now I see more and more concerts. Uh, what is, is the, are the artists more mature? Are the artists smarter? Or what is going on? Why are we having such productive hip-hop shows now? <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a lot of things. One, I think promoters um, have welcomed hip-hop so much because here's the thing hip-hop is you know always in the top streaming genres globally and we have the numbers now in hip-hop to back up why you know hip-hop is important two if you go to you know hip-hop you know especially for younger hip-hop uh shows or concerts that that crowd is super diverse you know it's not just you know black folk out there it's you know it's all every race is out there yes young old watching hip-hop mm-hmm you know, so there's money to be made in it. Three, there's just smarter managers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, the, the management teams now are so savvy and understand that each hip hop artist and artists in general are brands. And so they're really building and cultivating those brands to, to, to really make them stand out. Um, and then social media, you know, hip hop artists are now coming out with content. You know, they, I, I've seen some artists come out with multiple albums or multiple mixtapes in a year, and that wasn't happening in the past. And so there's so much content, there's so much, you know, they have so, you can see their personalities on social media, and, and promoters are so open to it, I, you know, I don't see hip-hop necessarily going down from, from a show perspective anytime soon. Well, I, I, the reason I didn't enjoy and I was excited about to bring you on the show was that, you know, I always preach multiple streams of income, you know, multiple opportunities yeah. brings longevity <laughs> and 
you know, one check is cool, but hey, several checks, and especially checks when you're getting them while you sleep is beautiful. Now, in addition mm-hmm. to your duties at Live Nation Urban, you're also currently relaunching your app, the Tour Star? Yeah, so, um, wow, Tour Star was an idea I had in 2011, okay. actually, and I was, um, you know, dealing with a, with a particular artist on tour, and I was like, man, I wish there was a way that people could see, you know, what we do, you right. know, in a fun way, and so mm-hmm. I was like, well, let's develop a, a music simulation game that talks about touring, taking an artist from, you know, the, playing in his, his or her garage and, and making it to an arena-level superstar, and so we created this game um, in 2014, it debuted in the top, um, top, and um, on, on the Apple um, music charts, um, did really well. Mm-hmm. We added uh, Questlove as a, as a partner in the game, and we're actually in the process of getting um, the company sold and then relaunching the app um, by the end of the year, you know, kind of a version two with, with a bigger uh, gaming company. So I'm excited about that. And to your point, you know, it's really about doing, you know, different streams of income. And I love music. Yes. Um, but I think there are opportunities not only in, in gaming, but in content, you know, the, besides the live space, taking music as kind of the hub and branching out into, into different areas. Um, and that's what excites me about having the freedom and, and, and really working in, in a space where I have the opportunity to be an entrepreneur um, as well as work with Live Nation. So it's really um, the best of both worlds. Well, you know, you're not only an entre- entrepreneur, you're a manager, you know. Yes. So, yes. So, yes. Uh, yes. so, so, so let's, let's, let's talk about these titles here <laughs> you got working on you. You're vice president <laughs> of business development and operation. You're developing apps, and you're mm-hmm. managing talent. So yes. tell us about that last leg, because, you know, I know something about managing. I know that's, you know, a lot of people, that, that uh-huh. title seems very simple. But mm-hmm. managing man, I'm telling you something. When that phone rings, you got to pick it up. You got to be a brother, sister, preacher, uh, security, uh, a, a, a loan officer. Sometimes <laughs> you got to be a, a, a cook, uh, uh, buy a meal you weren't ready to buy. Uh, you got to be a, a, an enforcer, a therapist. A therapist. therapist. I forgot that. Yeah. Hey, hey, Brandon, I apologize. I should have started with therapists. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, no, I, you know what? It's so funny because you have to be all those things. In fact, the artist I managed um, recently came out with her first single. Her name is Brianna Cash. She signed to um, in a J- joint venture with Interscope and, uh, and a super producer named Pop Wanzel. Um, she's from Philadelphia as well. And, you know, she's a phenomenal artist. And she'll tell you, I did not want to be her manager. I said management is an 82-hour-a-day job. I, I didn't have the time to do it, um, and I kind of just fell into it. And she now calls me her brother slash dad. Yeah. Um, and it's because yeah. you, you care so much about the artist or artists that you're, mm-hmm. you're working with from right. the managerial side. I, you know, I couldn't leave her now if I, if I wanted to right. um, because I understand the value of who she is as a person and my value in her life and, mm-hmm. and making sure she gets to a certain place in her career, and not just in her career, but I actually care more about you know, her personal life than I do the career. I think the career stuff is going to happen because she has a label behind her because, you know, we have a smart team with her, but really making sure on a day-to-day basis she's okay mm-hmm. because I think that gets lost in the careers of every artist. That gets lost in the careers of executives of any industry. I think we really, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of diverting myself, but we really need to focus on mental health for mm-hmm. individuals because I don't think we pay enough attention to that, especially in high-stress um, Absolutely. careers. Absolutely, and I, and I and I liken bad managers to bad parents because right. these individuals 
who trust us, who come to us, or we come to them and we convince them that we're the right person to, to steer their career, to, to keep their life right, to make sure they're talking to the right people, showing up. Because especially with social media, you got to be a, you know, you got to monitor social media, you got to monitor the post. so much that goes into your head and some of the stress yep. that you have to take on and then stay level-headed about it and being, uh, and being able to deliver an answer. That's the key too, being a right. manager. When they ask you a question, don't stutter. Or, or don't go, I'll be right back with you. Because they're they are coming to you because that's the final leg where they need the answer and they need that relaxed moment or that confirmed moment that they're doing the right things in their life. So I definitely had to bring that up because that, that level of diversity really lets me know that you are looking at you're looking at your life from a global perspective. You're not looking at this life as, as one opportunity, but many opportunities. How do you take on that, that, that persona or that ability to multitask or multitask? Um, I think I've just always had that, that ability. I knew that, you know, probably at this point, if I was just doing one thing, I would probably lose my mind um, because that's not who I am. Like, I, you know, I want to learn and I want to be a part of so many different things. Mm-hmm. Within entertainment, you know, and, you know, something we didn't touch on is, hey, I'm also, you know, a part of a nonprofit where we teach students about the business of entertainment because it has to be, you know, to me, it's very holistic. You know, it's, you know, I'm managing, I'm working in, in live music, we're, we're working in gaming and other special events, and then I, I have to make sure to, that I give back as well, you know, particularly to young black and brown kids who don't have the access or opportunity, you know what I mean, or that, that I have had. And so when you give that, now you can create more of a diverse workforce. Now you're actually creating smarter managers of color. Now you're also creating the next generation of Live Nation urban employees. And so it, it comes full circle. So to that point, um, you know, I, I just, I wake up knowing I want to be great. I wake up knowing that, you know, I, I believe that all of us, um, you know, have God within us. And so we awesome. have you know, our, our greatest potential is within ourselves. And so why, why limit ourselves? Why, you know, there are people that were very close to me who said, you know, way back, you know, don't go into music. You know, music <laughs> is, a, is a hobby, <laughs> not a career. Why are you doing this? Right. And you have to sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, mm-hmm. believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if mm-hmm. you don't believe in yourself, what's the point? What's yes. the point in doing any of this? Yes. And I think that's how some of us get lost sometimes because we lose that belief in who we are and the things that we're great at. Well, you know, it's really uh, fun that you brought that up because, you know, I love IBM to be a stand-up comic. So you understand the questions and the, and the doubters that came out about that, 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 that little career change. That, but what happens uh-huh. is you can't ever ask anybody about it for advice about That's your right. decision if they are not living that lifestyle. In other words, right. if somebody's in banking or somebody's a, a IT person, don't ask them about you changing your career into entertainment. They, they, will, they will revert to what they know. And, what, mm-hmm. and if they don't know, the thing that annoys me most about people, instead of saying you should seek that out or seek advice from somebody who can answer that properly, they'll answer and go, I don't think that's a good idea. Yep. Uh, how are you going to make money? Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, I heard. Then I heard come in. As soon as somebody say, I heard, walk away. <laughs> Run. Because now they're just, now they're just gossiping. Now they're just delivering rumors to your potential career change here. But I, but I wanted to tell you this, Brandon. I wasn't going to forget about the, uh, you know, the DASH program because that's about balanced life. 
And that's why I always talk about this show on this show with my guests about that balanced life and the ability to give back. Because I give back at my university uh, with scholarship programs and things like that. So, so the Dash program he's talking about is destined to achieve successful heights program, which prepares music education opportunities for students in high school throughout Philadelphia. So that to me gives me a full 360 about you. And I think that's important. I think that's a blessing. And you and you should uh, always announce that, my friend, because that's important that you understand you're in this business to make money. You're in this business to develop a career. You're managing people. You've got apps. You, you're savvy. You're articulate. You're intelligent. But you also understand that you have to slow down and, and, and relax a little bit and see what else value or the value that God has given you to contribute yeah. to other people's lives. That's what you're doing, brother. That's a blessing. No, thank you so much, man. And I'll tell you, one of the, the bigger stories, you know, about Dash for me um, was working with a young man who had actually dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, came to our, we had an after school program um, in Northwest Philadelphia at a facility. And he would come there every day, even though he wasn't in school. And because of that program, you know, he said, you know what, I'm going to go back and get my GED. And he's not in music, mm-hmm. um, but he has a solid job and he's taking care of his family. And that's, to me, it wasn't about necessarily, hey, you know, it's great if we can build the next music executive, but it's even better if we can just make you better people and make you want to get on the right path in life. And that's, you know, that's really the core of what Dash is about. And I want also, I always shout out the people who have helped develop these things. And that's Jerome Hips and Michael McAlther, who are both music managers. They co-found the program. I came out of uh, University of Penn and started interning for them in their recording studio. Right. And we started working on this on this. Um, music business program together. And now, not only are we teaching, but it's, you know, we have developed a curriculum that's going to be implemented in high schools in Philadelphia in the 2021 school year, focused on the business of music. That's awesome. And that, you know, that's legacy for me. And that's what it's about. And I, and I respect that, and I appreciate you. And I always know you have a friend of Rashawn McDonald, not only because of the fact that you're a guy who are, who's making a difference in the, in the business, but also in the community. Now, I'll be remiss... Live Nation Urban has upcoming events coming up. Let's talk about the the 12th annual Roots Picnic featuring the Roots Meek Mill. Let you do your thing. I'm going to just set it up. The 12th (laughs) annual Roots Picnic. Go. Well, let let me tell you, it's the 13th annual. We sold 25,000 tickets last year, the 12th (laughs) annual. This year we expect to sell 30,000. Saturday, May 30th in Philadelphia. Um, It's going to be a phenomenal event. We have, you know, everyone... Um, from Meek Mill to Thundercat, we have the Read Podcast, Quest Love Supreme Podcast. Um, we have the Baby. We have such a, a diverse palette of, of artists that are going to be there. Raekwon and, and Ghostface, Black Thought. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal festival. It's really, I, you know, we call it a slice of black culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, within Philadelphia. And we have folks all the way from D.C., New York. Everyone comes down. Right. It's going to be about 30,000. It's phenomenal. That is, is, um, is this a single-day event? Single day event, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be—it's just going to be crazy. We have another event which we call the largest um, gathering of millennial African Americans <laughs> in the world. It's the Broccoli City Music Festival in Washington D.C. Shout out to uh, Marcus Allen and, um, and and Brandon McCarron who you know helped really found this and put it together. And Live Nation Urban partnered mm-hmm. uh, with these two two brothers, and it's a phenomenal again another festival that's sold out already. Mm-hmm. It's May 9th, thirty thousand people. Um, really touching on young millennial, millennial African-Americans. And, you know, we have Megan Thee Stallion and Roddy Rich, you know, the, the baby, a, a lot of 
at Ari Lennox, just a phenomenal lineup. Um, that's a one-day event in Washington, D.C. as well. We have the Exodus Music and Arts Festival with Kirk Franklin, Leandria Johnson, Donnie McClurkin, the reunion of Mary Berry. Um, that's, you know, Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, May 24th in Dallas, Texas. And we have a slew of other shows and partnerships that we are um, announcing very soon. So, I, you know, I'm excited about what we have and what we've done since 2017. I think we started with maybe, you know, nine or ten shows in 2017 when we started. And now in 2020, we'll have about 50 shows. Um, so that's, you know, the power of, of, of what this brand has meant. Mm-hmm. And, and what it's really done, you know, mm-hmm. particularly in, in, I would say, in, in black and brown communities and music. My oh, man, congratulations. Uh, and I know you slipped in that, the reunion of Mary Mary. Now, that's pretty big. Now, you kind of slipped that in. Now, that's pretty <laughs> I, I, huge. Listen, I, didn't mean to, I was trying to get through it all. But no, 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 that, and that, that's why Exodus is phenomenal this year. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge right there. The reunion yes, of sir. Mary Mary got morning drive. Erica Campbell, that's my girl. Again, thank you for coming <laughs> to my show, Brandon. I appreciate it. You know you got a home now. You know, this is a journey. Uh, I appreciate that. This is a journey. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Awesome. Uh, If you want to catch any more episodes of Money Making Conversation, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.